Hi, everybody. Welcome along to this week's show. Wonderful to have you with us, as always, in the lead up to Christmas. Feeling very festive indeed. Uh, in fact, our Christmas Day show, we're going to continue through the whole festive period. And just to throw forward a little bit, uh, our Christmas Day um, episode is going to be with my very dear friend, Andy Burrows who some of you may well know was involved in the score for the fantastic snowman and the snow dog. So we thought it was a lovely thing to do on Christmas Day. He also talks about working with Ricky Gervais and many other things. So that's going to be our Christmas Day episode. Uh, but right now, our latest guest on soundtracking is a composer that I've been wanting to get on for absolutely ages. Michael Price has worked on a huge range of projects from film and television, including Dracula, Horrid Henry, Hot Fuzz, Band of Brothers, and of course, Sherlock, for which he won an Emmy with our good friend David Arnold. He's also music edited some incredible movies from Lord of the Rings to Love Actually and Children of Men. His most recent film score was for the fantastic Eternal Beauty. And Eternal Beauty saw him team up with recent guest on this show, Craig Roberts, after they first collaborated on Just Jim. Now we'll hear examples of Michael's cues from both very shortly, but first, a word from our very good friends at Grass & Co, who have been incredibly supportive of the podcast. And if you're a regular listener, you'll have heard me praise the benefits of this brand. Grass & Co, if you didn't know, are a premium CBD range of the finest quality, ethically sourced CBD, blended with therapeutic botanic ingredients. And there are three ranges, Calm, rest and ease. And I genuinely find that it helps me with, well, a number of issues really, including anxiety, stress and sleeping. And that's down to the way they've been created to relax your mind and soothe your body. Also the way they've blended all natural botanical ingredients, including ginger, turmeric and orange or ashwagandha, chamomile and mint. So the taste is smooth and delicious. Now, as well as the CBD oils, Grass & Co have a wonderful collection of other companion products that help with your daily routine. It's best to start low and slow. The 500 milligram calm range of CBD oil is a good place to begin your journey. Taking it first thing in the morning really sets you up for your day. It brings a touch of tranquility to whatever lays ahead for you. Also part of the Calm range, you have a wonderful balm that can release muscle tension and aching joints, whilst also deeply nourishing dry sore skin, perfect for this time of year. And it can also be applied any time of the day to pressure points or temples. Then you can end the day with Calm Body Oil after a relaxing bath, a candle or pillow spray to help you unwind and get the mind and body in the mood for a good sleep. I do swear by this product and the benefits I feel are quite extraordinary. Grass & Co CBD oils contain no trace of THC. All the CBD products are totally legal to buy, consume and supply in the UK. Interested? Then find your car with 25% off plus free shipping at grassandco.com forward slash sound. That's grassandco.com forward slash sound. All you need to do is use the discount code SOUND at checkout to claim your 25% off the Grass & Co Calm, Ease and Rest CBD ranges. Also, with Christmas around the corner and if you're searching for a gift for someone special, the Grass & Co Christmas shop is now open, including an incredible selection of gift boxes from the little box of Christmas Calm and Silent Night Kit to the Ultimate Luxe CBD Edition. Find memorable presents that will last long past Boxing Day. A calm Christmas all wrapped up in one. I know we all need that. 
Visit grassandco.com forward slash sound and use the discount code sound at checkout to claim your 25% off the entire Grass & Co ranges. And so to Michael. Now the vinyl for Eternal Beauty is coming out in the new year, but you can pre-order it now via a link at michaelpricemusic.com. In the meantime, it's available to stream. And with cues like this, come on, why wouldn't you? Thanks for doing this, Mike. I'm so chuffed to finally get you on. <laughs> it's been lovely, actually, because of kind of talking about you on the podcast for a long time. But then when we hit lockdown, you kind of started this beautiful conversation with your world and outside that world as well. I wanted to start by talking about that, if you wouldn't mind, because I just thought that was such a, a lovely gift to give people. And to kind of encourage conversation, really. So it was, I think, as as probably with with the the truest and best things that any of us end up doing, uh, it's all entirely accidental and unplanned and spur of the moment, in the best sense of responding to your own feelings and to the and to the feelings of everybody around me. And mm. I can I can remember in um, back in March there was a time and it was sort of all systems go for for me personally at that point i i do a tv show called unforgotten for mm-hmm. itv and that had been filming for 10 weeks by march i I'd, I'd literally sat with nick who's my amazing uh, person who, who who works in the studio with me here and we'd we'd gone through my diary and filled in what cue for what episode I was supposed to be writing for the next, I think wow. it was through until September. Like we, we got lots of colored, you know, it's mm-hmm. pretty geeky, but we, we, we had all that down. It's like, yeah, I know exactly what I'm doing. And then events took the turn that they did in, in March. And, and it felt like really quite quickly we were in this, in this lockdown. And I, I felt like I needed to talk and I felt like I needed to talk to uh, friends and colleagues, uh, and sort of keep the connection going, being a reasonably sociable animal over that transition into the lockdown. And then what happened again, just very sort of spontaneously through that, very much the same as, as you've done with this, you know, obviously I'm a huge fan of soundtracking and, and the community that's, that surround surrounds this, the, there are these spaces where I think people can talk honestly and can talk 
can can share a conversation whether it's about their work or just about how they're responding to the to the situation so yeah and, and then we did uh, we did a dozen video chats compose a coffee break they're all still online <laughs> go and the, check them out they're brilliant <laughs> they're so good but i think may and maybe the one the the one thing that was sort of of its time about them was that for the for the first time there was kind of an honesty and, a, and an intimacy because they were from all of our spare bedrooms <laughs> mining there was a particularly sort of uh clean i hasten to add but there, there was a pile of laundry behind me i'm back in the studio now but from the spare bedroom at home and i think there's a sort of there's a conversation that can be inclusive and maybe it's one of the things that will that we'll all take forward when we're out of the other side of lockdown that is a bit more empathetic and and communal i guess in a way it's also that thing i think as well where it's it's just having a bit more time for people that's kind of yeah. what i really sort of have kind of taken away and it's for me it's encouraged me to i'm i've got like lists to-do lists for to-do lists <laughs> and, and and but and i'm always kind of like got 10 things on the go and sort of, you know, running around and bouncing off the wall sort of thing. And I still do a bit of that, but I definitely think that it's encouraged me to kind of try and find, you know, positives out of the situation. And there are a lot actually, but one of them being that I feel like it's encouraged me to be in the now a lot more rather wow. than going, well, what am I going to be doing in 36 <laughs> months time? You know, and there's obviously still an element that being a freelancer of making sure you've got work to do. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but just in terms of just exhale and just exist and just you know look around look up look you know and try yeah. and sort of take in what what you have so i think and i found that the conversations in in uh in your coffee breaks was just so great and just almost encouraging of that really do you know i i think that most there are various power dynamics at, at play i think in in a lot of interview situations that are other promotional and we all know how the we all know how the world works of yeah. course you know this is like journalists can get access to actors or directors or whoever when, when there's a project to, to promote and and that is how the world turns and, and that's totally fine yeah but i find it very interesting when that power dynamic is less uh it's sort of less established so so if, if there's sort of a if you've got peers talking to each other in any situation i find is interesting anyway because there's a sort of there's a shared understanding, you know, composers or, or whoever, we can be our own worst enemy in interviews because we're so, so guarded mm. often because, you know, you don't want to offend anybody that you've just been working with. You don't want to yeah. slag off the film or say it was horrible or you had a hard time because, Absolutely. you know, that, yeah. there's, there's a front there. Whereas down the pub, dear Lord above, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a very different story, as you well know. When I do my research as well for particularly actors and things when it's around release time and yeah. if I'm hosting a premiere or whatever and you know and I'll watch all my bits and bobs and you can hear the same answers being told time and time again you know those answers have been rehearsed they've been yeah. practicing those interviews sort of thing and that drives me mad mm -hmm. and there's nothing better than being able to speak to someone outside of that promotional window yeah. because you get a truer self you get a more honest insight into their creativity and I did a thing a couple of weeks ago for the BFI very last minute you know they were brilliant in, in terms of the way the LFF just you know became this combination of online which made it so accessible for people I thought which was fantastic 
and physical screenings and things. But um, it was a last minute thing going, oh, can you do a screen talk with George Clooney? And I was like, yes. And then... <laughs> Hold me back. Hold me. I mean, but at that point, there wasn't a release date or anything for this yeah, new yeah. film that he's done. And it was like, they were saying, oh, can you pick six of his films to talk about? I'm like, no, ask him to pick six of his films oh, to talk about. Brilliant. And it yeah. was amazing because he wasn't promoting anything. Yeah. He, not to say that George Clooney's not a great interview most of the time, but it was just, his shoulders had dropped. Do you know what I mean? There was no, it was just, it was so refreshing. Do you think that the, because in a way we've had access to, not only to each other in a different way, but, you know, to, to artists that we, that we admire, do you think it will think it will revert back to type, or do you think it, there has been a fundamental sort of change in that relationship? I hope it's either somewhere in the middle, yeah, or it stays very much more. You know, it's like the idea that I'm kind of beaming into George Clooney's spare room, you know, <laughs> or a screening room. I think yeah, it yeah, it's yeah. like oh, that's no. an, you know, there was nothing <laughs> yeah. you couldn't see anything really. But the idea that we were in there yeah. was lovely, and he didn't, you know, he allowed us in, and I do think that there's a there's an element of that as well. And yeah, and I, I also think that I hopefully encourages trust, more trust, I think, in a way. I'm not a journalist. I've got yeah. no agenda. I'm not interested yeah. in a headline. I just yeah. want to have a conversation. Yeah. And I think that if more people maybe try and approach it that way, then it, hopefully it might continue more in the way that it's been. I, I'm wondering as well about the about how it's affecting the the music that we're making, if, you know, if you're a musician as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like everybody else, have, have, I, I don't know, I had the first few months when I didn't write a note. In fact, it was, it was uh, chatting to my partner about it and, and saying that it was the longest I hadn't composed anything some, since I was 13. Wow. Because it's just like I'd always, like I'd monkeyed about with it, with music when I was a kid. And then, you know, after uni, I was starting to write myself. I was always writing, writing, writing. And then once, once I found myself in film and TV, even if I wasn't sort of, writing something for myself that you know there was always something on on the desk to do mm. orchestrations or, or mm. arrangements or something and and so the the start of the lockdown was genuinely the sort of was this big oasis where we've got two young kids and and so that that'll do it for you so you know we, we had plenty to, to to keep us going and and then coming back into into trying to trying to write I felt different I felt that the, the sort of the impetus to to be seen as smart and and clever and write things that are impressive was greatly diminished and and so I've, I've been working on on something just here in the studio where I've got a little beautiful handmade piano called an unicorda which is like just a, a one string per note made by this wonderful wow. Hungarian piano builder and it's it's got this really sort of very gentle very sort of intimate slightly bell-like sound it's a, it's a beautiful instrument so i've been doing some pieces on that and and singing doing some really quiet back if i like i'm Amazing. not singing edith oh i've believe it's 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 kind of a everybody's standing... got a voice in that <laughs> it is a bit of a standing joke with various people if if you have to do like a, a demo for a singer for, or for something mm. in, a, in a tv production and i sing a, a demo vocal there's always an email that comes back and goes I think maybe we should get somebody else in before we give, <laughs> give the answer. Oh, Cheers. Yeah, exactly. So it was a tough call. But yeah, there's just building up these little sort of very personal, very, also it was triggering lots, lots for me about memory as well. I was going, my, my background, I'm from Yorkshire and so like several generations back of, of Yorkshire folk as well. And a couple of cousins 
had and other members of the family had been digging out some photos, particularly of my my mum's parents, who my granddad Ernest, who worked in the mills in and around Bingley. Yeah, and we got this uh, cousin Karen had put together these amazing like online photo journal with with these brilliant brilliant photos, and I kept oh, coming wow. back to them and of my granddad looking like an absolute legend, like a sharp dresser, mm. and kind of on the beach I think, I think some of them were on uh, uh, Scarborough and you know that kind of that late post-Victorian when it was still really great to go for a day trip to the seaside and everybody dresses for it yeah. it's like you're only there for a couple of days so it's like here we go and so th- there's this sort of kind of mining process of trying to strip away some of the stuff that I think kind of you know kind of covers over the surface of of real intimacy of of how we communicate Mm-hmm. musically so yeah that's been interesting and and so that's sort of sort of finished which is is weird oh, it's just being mixed at the moment by somebody amazing and and, and i can feel because unforgotten uh, they managed to get their last few weeks of filming in so i get the first episode next friday to crack oh, on wow, with that that's great um but the it now feels even though i guess we're kind of locking back down again it feels like there's a sort of professional opening back up to the world to a certain extent yeah and, if, and I think I'll miss. I think I'll miss some of that quiet time. That quiet time, that brain space, almost yeah, in a way. Definitely. Was there something specific that kind of nudged you into, you know, just noodling and whatnot? Yeah, I, th- I think that, and it's, I try trace some of this back to to upbringing, and not to say that that my sort of outlook might have been really different if I'd have grown up in the southeast in like a media family with a dad that ran a production company or something like that but I didn't I grew I grew up in Yorkshire I didn't know anybody that made music professionally that wasn't a thing at all I certainly didn't know anybody that made films or tv as yeah. you know we watched them we enjoyed yeah. them but it, they were distant and sort of created out there and I think for for me I was that sort of I I, I recognize myself sometimes in some of the students that I see or some of the younger people that I talk to where it takes them a while to to really sort of give themselves permission to that their their voice is is important so i think i was probably a kind of classic reasonably smart northern kid trying to sort of trying to work and and you know i just happy happy to be in showbiz yeah i mean frankly i was i was chatting to somebody and um we were talking about opportunities and how you know the they were asking you, how, how did you get your first kind of break in film and TV and that sort of thing? And what that most reminded me of was my being back home with my parents and my dad leaving the Yorkshire Evening Post and the kitchen table with like jobs in shops ringed for me. It's like, get a job. You know, that that was the sort of, yeah. that that was where we, where it started from for me. I'm blessed them. I love, love them dearly, still with us. And so when I started with, uh, I used to write sort of classical music, just that, that nobody would play or listen to and but I was quite geeky I've always always loved the tech and so in in my 20s I was sort of I got quite good at the at the uh sort of using sequences and also I met the people that wrote a, a music notation program right right at the start of their of their journey mm. and so I guess in hindsight I was quite useful as as an assistant and I had sort of a you know reasonably reasonably stable temperament just a, you might might say and so when I met Michael Kamen which is which was totally sort of 
out of the blue. I'd been doing, I'd been demonstrating this software at the Royal Academy of Music on a Sunday morning. And Michael had some contacts at the Academy and he, he did have quite a quick burn rate for assistance. So there, there was usually a vacancy. If not now, there, there would be one coming up. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, exactly. Bless him. That quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so somebody put, asked somebody who asked somebody else. And so I, I went along and it was just totally dropped in at, at the deep end, but with ju- just enough, I don't know, just enough good luck, really not not to get fired, not to be the next one out of the door, which is maybe 25 years ago now was, yeah. was the start of this sort of train journey, the kind of high speed journey where it, I can't remember buying a ticket for it. You know, it's just such a, like, <laughs> it's just, are, we, are we still here? <laughs> and and then there's so was, I was with Michael for five years, and you know, literally from thinking I was just showing up on a Monday morning to his posh house in Notting Hill just to I don't know say hello. Yeah, I kind of got off after Band of Brothers, and it was sort of like, oh, okay, well, you know, what do I do now? That's amazing. But I think as well, it's that thing where you're when you're open to embracing and and learning and taking on board lots of different you know things and experiences. They all feed into it and they all, I think as well, on the kind of, you know, it's, you never really see your, you know, people see you in a very different way than you see yourself. And so yeah. people can kind of see the, the drive and the, the want to learn and the want to bring these things together that you've learned along the way as well. And it's, it's, um, it's amazing because there's a couple of people that we've spoken to have had a, a similar kind of experience where they've kind of totally by being in the right place at the right time have had that opportunity. But to maintain that opportunity, they've worked hard and they've done amazing work and they've produced incredible work. And, you know, that's the same for you. And it was so great chatting to Craig a little while. Oh, he's so, he's brilliant, isn't he? I mean, just the whole package of him is just awesome. (laughs) The the whole box that is of joy that is Craig Roberts. Do you know what, as, as well as his sort of almost sort of supernatural gifts as a, as a filmmaker and you know everything he does is beautiful actually when when him and i sit down in the pub it is as two non-londoners it's sort of as as outsiders yeah in, in a way and he you know he talks about wales and how he grew up in the same way that i talk about batley and i and how i grew up and there's this sort of i think one one of the and and you've got a i would say sort of a, a unique overview having having talked to so many brilliant filmmakers and composers as well it was fascinating to to be able to sort of draw the parallels between between everybody but one of the things that a lot of composers say is is that there are certain relationships that again they they don't plan but when you look back you can see how it was those three four five films with that one particular director that that had a really strong influence on what on what they were doing and and having done a couple of films with craig now obviously i can't make him sign me for the next thing <laughs> much though you know I, i'll have a good go yeah but there's so, there's something about developing some authentic relationships that aren't transactional it's not yeah. about the sort of the money or the gig or the any of that particularly because in independent film as you well know <laughs> neither are really in in yeah. uh, big supply yeah but, and so I think I'm probably I, I feel as as open these days as as I've ever been to to trying to sort of authentically connect to whatever whatever I choose to do and also give myself permission to say no a bit as well. Cause that seems to be kind of opening the door to 
rather more sort of mm. uh, fragile flowers, which which need a bit of space to to yeah. grow up in the middle. But are you good at saying no? No, I'm terrible at it. Me too. It's, it, oh. it's, <laughs> it's 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 hilarious. I've got a wonderful new management team who. I, th- I don't think I've exhausted their patience just yet, but there's a, there's a, it's very, very close where we, we go through this process where it's, it's back to the Yorkshire Evening Post on the, you know, on the kitchen table. It's yeah. like it's programmed into me to, to work and to be, you know, sort of turning down work feels like it's sort of, I don't know, it's, it's rude. It's offensive. Really. You yeah. know, there's, there's people who would be, you know, who would love that opportunity. So you should crack on. And I think that probably worked really well for the first I don't know, 10, 15 years, but I'm not sure it serves quite quite so well now. So try, I'm trying to be better. I don't know if I'm speaking. I'm speaking your truth, Edith. <laughs> so. I hear you. I hear you. I'm right there with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember my dad kind of, because the way that you, you know, the way that the way that media and things happen, it's not that old traditional of turning the TV on and there being four channels that you watch things on, you know. Yeah. For me anyway, I kind of, you know, I navigate my way across so many different mediums and platforms and all that kind of thing. And most of those are things that my dad, being the age that he is, you know, and how he watches things, he doesn't know that I'm doing stuff. So I think there was a kind of, he was a bit worried for me at one point going, are you busy enough? <laughs> and then he came down to stay with me for like five days. You know, him and my mum yeah. are still together, but he came down on his own. And he was like, you don't stop. Yeah. I'm like, I know exactly. I thought you wanted me to get like a taxi, <laughs> nighttime taxi job that we were talking <laughs> earlier. But it's like, no, there's loads going on, but it's just a different way. But they that that whole growing up with them in this little village in Scotland, that's where my work ethic came from. It's that kind of thing. If you work hard, get get your hands dirty, get involved, get in there, find other things. If there's nothing, nothing put in front of you to do, find something yeah. to do. And it's kind of and I'm really I'm really grateful for that, I think, as well, because that's how that's how this podcast came to be, to be honest, you know, in terms of well, no one else is going to do it for me, so I may as well do it myself. So that's what's been amazing, really, with this. There's so much in, in life that, that there are sort of positive results from and also, you know, that, that there can be a flip side that, that you need to balance. And, and that sort of that drive, which is very difficult to it's kind of hard to pretend that you're driven you know it doesn't come from the surface it comes from deep deep within you know it can can pro- produce and almost always does sort of you know if you look at people with with long careers in any field you know that there's there's a seed of that inside them mm. and and film and tv music i mean i i'm quite sort of outspoken about how i think the kind of macho work culture of film scoring has developed and I think it's starting to change but there was certainly a period of time when, when it was so incredibly toxic that that the idea that you you were phoning it in if you were getting more than two hours sleep a night or yeah, you know, yeah, you had yeah, to, yeah yeah you had to have a series of broken marriages before you know and and you never see your kids and that became the sort of the defining message that I think you know if you were if you're looking at what a film composer looked like I think 10 years ago they were definitely a man they were definitely of a certain age they on their defi- third marriage always you know some trail of devastation behind yeah. them and i think in terms of sort of you know the voices and the people that that we've got making the music that, that we listen to now I, you know one of obviously it's very complicated but but one of the factors that i think is sort of opening opening up the arena to to more people for them to be heard is actually 
I mean, these days, you know, particularly with, with kids, I, I work Monday to Friday and I'm home for dinner and bedtime. That That's sort of my rules. And and if it goes, and obviously there's stuff that has to happen once in a while outside that, but if it does, I, I tend to get up super early because with a 10-month-old, uh, can't remember wow. when it last and a proper sleep anyway, so <laughs> you might as well just combine it with popping in. But that, you know, sort of having that as a, as a baseline, certainly doesn't seem to have had a kind of negative effect on any of the stuff that I've done mm. and I think it's sort of if you take away some some of the that sort of bravado or you know I, I work longer than you do well like when when somebody goes to listen to a record or, or watch a film they don't really care how late you stayed up to do it it's just is it beautiful yeah. does it move yeah. me does it yeah, I think th- it's all kind of part part and parcel of the same thing I think. Do you think there's been a change in because the perception of difference between TV and film has obviously changed over the years and that, you know, it's for, a, for a film actor to take a step into TV would have been seen as a kind of backward step in years gone by. But the difference in terms of the the level of, of um, I mean, TV's always made great TV sort of thing, but the, the gap's definitely sort of diminished over the years in terms of there's not a massive divide now between what's been made in TV. And TV's almost given more opportunities, really, in terms of, you know, when you look at some of the stuff that you've worked on um, in the world of TV, but since you started, have you seen a difference for the life of a composer working across TV and film? Yeah, I think it goes into... Um it sort of breaks into into certain niches there's still the uh us network an episode a week treadmill yeah. that brilliant i mean god i've got some friends that do that and you know much respect because that is that's tough yeah tough work and i think that bit hasn't changed quite so much but then the the long form netflix amazon you know the sort of streaming series they they've brought a, a new aesthetic certainly and some new work practices but i think everybody's sort of finding their feet in what it really what it means because certain words are sort of chucked around quite loosely like cinematic is is everybody's favorite sort of word that doesn't really mean anything specific yeah. but it's sort of you know everybody's got a different version of what that means to them sherlock which you know i've had the privilege of being part of for 10 years now is is one example where you know each, each episode is 90 minutes long it's a film it's got benedict cumberbatch and you know they're they're as much a film as any other 90 minute thing with benedict cumberbatch and martin freeman but the budgets that they're made with are sort of posh telly budgets rather than sort of yeah 200 million dollar feature film budgets but then on the other hand you seem to be able to get kind of like 80 percent on screen you just can't get those really super expensive shots or you can't have the Mm. time or you can't do as many visual effects or you know there's a a bunch of stuff you can't do on a a lower budget but we look back and and we did we did 13 Sherlock's there's four series of three and a a Victorian special and if I look at if I look at Sherlock through the lens of sort of episodic telly and I tell some of my American composer friends, oh yeah, we did 13 Sherlock's. They just laughed and go, that's, la- that's half a season, mate. You weren't even trying. That's just, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> no. And then on the other hand, if I say to, you know, to a film, to somebody else who's first in film and said, we, we've done a series, a, lo- a 10 year series of 13 films. Mm-hmm. They go, oh my God, that's like a, you know, a huge substantial experience. So, yeah. so the, 
there are so many different frames to look through at what we consume as as film and long yeah. form telly short form telly I, th- I think it's fascinating i mean I, I i find it hard to you know we might lightning might strike again but i i can't imagine having another 10 year experience like the one that we had on sherlock and mm. i hope there'll be other amazing ones too but yeah. that, i think that was quite a unique time Did you know going in that the because the music the music's got such a beautiful precise sound to it and is weaved so intrinsically within the characters within the narrative, you know it is a character in in the show. Thank you. Was that always the case, and was that kind of when you started and when you set out that the music would would very much set the pace almost of the the show in a way, really, and continue to do so and be such a beautiful kind of almost heartbeat of it in a way i i think there's so many stars need to come into alignment and so many so many factors outside your control need to be present that most of the time i certainly and and i know david arnold who 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 i know we both friends with the uh, (laughs) extraordinary mr arnold there's a an instinctive response that pretty much for me anyway it feels like the only it's like the only tool in my uh very small toolbox it's just like the only thing i've got is instinctively what works what what can yeah. i do what's this and sherlock had a, had an interesting sort of genesis in that there there is a pilot episode a one hour pilot episode that's on the i think it's on the series one dvds and in, in the box set where mark uh, gatiss and, and stephen moffat had developed the first script as a as a one hour show i think it was going to be six one hours to begin with and they shot the first hour and it had uh benedict and martin in it and they look about literally about 12 it looks like it's not a school drama <laughs> drama production I, I'll, I'll i'll send it to you because it yeah, makes I'd me howl and it was kind of it was good but it sort of didn't quite catch fire and david's Arnold already him and Mark went back a long way I'd actually just worked with Mark on something entirely different so so I think Mark just asked if we'd come in and have a a look at a look at this pilot episode and and so we did so we we had a I think we spent 10 days on it and just threw some stuff at it to see whether that would be the thing absolutely instinctively I can remember Dave and I walking back after chatting to Mark and Stephen walking down a street in Soho maybe going to the pub and it was sort of like I'll do Watson if you do Holmes. Oh, do you want to do that? <laughs> you know, some absolutely arbitrary, not even the back of an envelope, nothing as sophisticated as that. And and so we took this instinctive shot at it. And then it went away for about another 12 months, 18 months. We didn't hear anything. It was just like, oh, well, never mind. And then it came back onto the radar as three 90-minute episodes. Mm. Change of director, change of reworked, a bit, a bit more sort of fully realized. And and I can remember going, seeing, actually, I think we did it back to front for reasons beyond me, like episode three first, then two, then one. And I remember seeing seeing some of 
um, that first of episode three that we watched first. And it was just like, this is astonishing now. And particularly because, because you'd got something that was good, like, you know, perfectly passable, that would have mm -hmm. been fine. People would have liked that. But then the, the, the process of sort of polish or reinvention and just seemed to catch both Benedict and Martin just at that sort of exponential before the exponential growth happened yeah. and they were f fire it was just this is amazing and and mm. so because all you've got is your instincts and not enough time and not enough money etc cetera, etc cetera. and maybe for david and i i mean david obviously had this incredible sort of early career doing independence day and all those huge films very early in his career for me i was sort of slightly coming up and out of i mean i'd, I'd done quite a lot of sort of reasonably high profile composing as well as music editing and assisting Michael and all, and all those other things. But I was kind of like, I was definitely game. And I think David was like, yeah, come on, let's, let's have a go at this. And so we, we just sort of threw everything, <laughs> threw everything we got at it because it seemed to take it. And some things do, some things you, you chuck every idea you've got and all the energy you've got and all the character that you've got and all the colors that you've got at it. And really quickly, it all slides off the side because you look like you're trying much, much too hard. And it's just, it's not, it's not in there. You, you've detached from reality. Very quickly, you're fired. It's just, oh. whereas there seemed to be, Sherlock seemed to have this sort of intrinsic depth because everybody was going for it. Mm. The performances, the writing, the design like, like literally everybody's checking everything that got and and so it took it and it became bigger and bigger and bigger you know i think something that is operating at that degree of operatic uh drama probably is not going to run for like you know run quietly in the background like silent witness for 20 series or whatever you know it, it was going to burn out that was probably in the stars right from the beginning but it was it was quite a ride I loved Dracula as well. I <laughs> I know Dolly really well. Oh, and, um, she like amazing. Yeah, Dolly's a really old friend, and yeah. she is so great to see. You know, here's someone who's worked like she just yeah. works constantly, uh, and she just released her first feature last year, which was amazing. But I just thought I loved that show. I just thought it was absolutely fantastic and so unique, and so the tone of it was fantastic and again the music was just pitch perfect
tiny um, uh, script read-through story about Dolly in that, I mean, you've been, you must have sat in, the, in those sort of uh, the freezing cold rooms in North London above an old church or something with loads of actors in their civvies all reading. Oh, it's, I'd it, love to. That was That's the dream is to be like someone in that environment. I'd love to. Oh, do you like know that. what, it, it's one of my favourite bits of the whole process. I love, I mean, I read, you know, read scripts when I get sent them, but the time, it, the first time it really comes to life for me is a script read through. Yeah. Because you can, you can, I find it fascinating just to observe the actors as well. So some people kind of like keep it really small and, and don't really haven't either developed the characterization yet or don't, or don't want to give it away or other people are like big right from the start. They're doing yeah. the voices, they, they're going there. And you can see very quickly which bits of the drama are going to land and, and how. And obviously, they, you know, it gets fleshed out, but intrinsic to the writing and the performances are, are, are usually there, you know, in the round a big square table with, you know, bottles of fizzy water and, and biscuits. <laughs> and, uh, and Dolly at the Dracula read-through, I think it was for the Ep, Ep 3 read-through, there's usually one moment per read-through where everybody stops and or applauds. And or, or actually on some of the shows I've been through, there are no, there's no, <laughs> no applause. It's just everybody shuffles out a bit embarrassed afterwards. Thanks for my bag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Checking the phone, oh, no eye contact. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and there's, a, there's a passage where she has to be old, be, be Agatha, and then when she has to be such a like modern, modern day, and so she has to basically talk to herself. Mm. And it, it got to that point, and Stephen Moffat, who was sort of reading the... Um, in all stage directions uh, said oh you know you don't have to do both sides uh, dolly it's fine we'll get somebody else to read you know read in the either yeah. the modern or the old and she and she just very quietly went no no i think i think i have it and then just sort of nailed this page and a half of like double-handed dialogue with old her and new her accent performance Amazing. feeling everything absolutely in place to the and then it got to the sort of page turn and everybody and and there was a bit of a pause and a ripple of applause. It was just like, that is class. And, and I think you could see even just in the read through that there was something so compelling about her. I think she was, she was the kind of heart of the, of all of Dracula. Obviously, obviously Clayce is the, you yeah. know, the kind of figurehead, but it was for those, for those people who stayed, you know, and some people didn't like the first two episodes and didn't like the twist. And some people liked the last one actually, and didn't like, weren't so keen on the old one, but, the people who stayed through all three episodes of it, I'm I'm pretty sure they're staying because of Dolly's performance, because that that pulled us through too. I loved it. Um, we didn't talk. We haven't talked. We didn't talk about the music in Eternal Beauty. We just gushed about Craig. <laughs> we have to talk about how fabulous your music is and how again that that notion of it 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 of it it has a a purpose. It has more than one purpose, really, in terms of what it's servicing and what it's doing and it's you know, it's her dream state. It's the soundtrack to her dream state. It's there's there are so many roles for the music within this film. Also, you know, almost kind of mimicking that slight schizophrenic nature of her mental problems, really, her mental health problems. But it's glorious. Thank you. 
that harken back to the kind of, you know, um, the 50s and all that stuff. It's just was a lovely opportunity for you because I imagine with a lot of projects, there's a there's a there's a sound in a way of of the music fits in within a kind of framework of of a period or, uh, you know, these are the emotions we want to hit. But this felt like musically it was not all over the place, but it, it, but you, <laughs> yes, but I mean that I, in the most no, beautiful exactly, no, way. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, I think what I'm finding, and I probably, I think I'm probably just a bit slow to this particular party, but the, the motivation, you know, why you're doing what you're doing musically mm-hmm. is, is everything, you know, there really sort of isn't anything else. If you're all those times and, and there's a bunch of things over the last 25 years, I wish I could go back and change, but, Almost always there because the reason why a bit of music was was why it was was an, was an external reason. Like you say, it was sort of it was there because well, that's what you usually have in an action film. It was yeah. there because the last version of this was like that. You know, some other reason other yeah. than just right here, right now. This is what this is what we could do. But also, there's you know those, those projects are not always. You can't always tell how things are going to go right from the start because films and big TV series are are hugely collaborative in terms of the number of the number of voices. Mm. And so the person that you first connect with, if it's the director or maybe the writer or, or someone, you might have that connection. You might be able to really explore an area, go through a whole process, come out with something that is authentic and that, you know, and that means something. It's got a reason. But you know, if somebody else has put up $20 million, $200 million for it, then there's a lot of opinions. And so there's a, there's a sort of, again, back to the stars coming into alignment mm. on, on Eternal Beauty. Craig was kind enough to ask me to do Just Jim, which is his, his first film. And do you know what? I, I've got a couple of regrets about Just Jim, not because I don't think he did a, he did a great job, but I think in terms of the process, I don't think I left as much space for a process for me and Craig as I could have done. That's super busy. Honest of you. We're always we always got three things on at once. And it was just sort of a lot of the time, I think, composers, we want to get the right answer. We sort of treat it a bit like a crossword puzzle. It's like this scene needs something. If I can solve this puzzle, I get a tick on my board and I can move on. And you can hear that a bit sometimes. <laughs>
and I'm a, a shocker for this because having having been an assistant and then a, a music editor on these big old films, massive films. <laughs> I I sort of flatter myself that I I know roughly, or I've got some insight into how music for film works. You know yeah. how it sticks together, how it how how to get something over the finish line. Yeah. Can I just and, point out for people who don't know the films that you worked on as a music editor? I mean, we're talking like everything from like Lord of the Rings to Nanny McPhee and everything in the middle, basically. There's some classics in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> some great ones in the middle. But also just, you know, addition, little bits of additional music as well here and there. The, I mean, it would take us weeks to go through all the brilliant and all the this the sort of unique little jobs that you've done on films as well. Tinker Taylor as well. Oh, I mean, yeah. Oh. I do like that, actually. Yeah, um, but anyway, sorry, but, I interrupt. Yeah, yeah, no, no, but I, I, I think I, you know, I, I can get a bit crossword, puzzle, solvey about stuff. And when, when we'd finished, just Jim, I, 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 this is just me uh, sharing my personal dialogue <laughs> in a way that makes me unemployable. But I, I sort of, I, I said, I did say to myself, I said, if Greg makes another film and, and he asks me again, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make more space for our process yeah I'm gonna i'm not gonna like send him stuff to look at on his laptop i'm gonna make sure that we can have a physical space that we can do playbacks in in my studio so we can play around with things i, I don't want to send him finished things where if he wants me to change it i feel a bit grumpy before i change it i want to show him bits i want to just have things that we can play with and you know, and luckily for for me, made Eternal Beauty, and so I I cleared the decks mm. for it, and 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 instead of having sort of like you know sitting in a grisly cutting room in Soho or or you know as it's mostly done now, you just send somebody a quick time and they watch it on the train with bad headphones, yeah, and, and either it good or it isn't. And um, the studio where I am now is in in Caledonian Road in North London, and mm-hmm. there's there's lots of things to play with. And so I used to make sure that Craig, when he when he was um, in London most most of the time, then I would sort of have playbacks in the evening about sort of five six, so we could have a couple of beers, we could listen to stuff, we could chat about it and and play with things. And consequently, it takes you know it takes longer, yeah. and it's immeasurably better. It's just like the best way to do things. And so one of the things that I feel then very satisfied about is if I hear Craig talking about the music mm. and he is talking about a process that he's a 
he feels ownership of and, and feels like a part of. He, he feels that he discovered alongside me, which he absolutely did, a bunch of the elements that go into the into the score. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was definitely a, a, a note to self on that one. And I'm glad I had chance with him to yeah to to, to have another go around and 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 do it better. I think. Well, I think what's lovely as well is that they're, they're not every not every score I think can have a a life of its own outside the film in terms of you can put it on to be enjoyed as a piece of music hmm. um, or as a collection of pieces of music. And I think that the the score for Eternal Beauty has got the most kind of beautiful life outside the film that it's just so stunning. It's so good and so just conjures up fantastic imagery as well. And it's getting released. Again, I said, yeah! <laughs> I'm, I'm like the, I'm the worst this is why I need to have agents and management. I, I talk myself out of more, many more things than I talk myself in of because I'm not the biggest fan of soundtrack albums. Well, that's what I mean. They don't all work. Yeah, exactly. I, and, and you know, yours you know, does though. <laughs> once in a while, something comes <laughs> along and you think, actually, and, and again, we sort of thought about it from two ways to make soundtrack albums. Obviously, one is the sort of completest one, which is, can be fascinating, but doesn't make for, I don't think, a new artistic experience. So if you put mm-hmm. every note on to an album yeah. that you made, it's a record of a thing, but it, it's not like a, a new, something new to experience. But if you can make a soundtrack album that encapsulates through the music, the spirit of the whole film, such that if you put the record on, you get like a new, unique mm artistic experience yeah. like you do when you put a, a, a record on from a band or, or an artist Absolutely. and again the brilliant people that i'm working with at the moment we managed to get a um we, we sort of vinyl first really it's like what what works on the record and then you know everything else falls into place so there's a this beautiful drop dead gorgeous vinyl in fact i was listening to a test pressing last night brilliant. it's it's the the most <laughs> i did like the kids had the kids had been intense shall we say and there's a tiny moment of stillness where i sat downstairs with a with glass of wine last night and listened uninterrupted to oh. to both sides of the record and it feels tangible and honest and and all the good stuff So not to say that you can't stream it. In fact, obviously, I encourage people to. <laughs> to I like the investment in a bit of vinyl. It's so nice because oh, you, you, yeah. you've got to attend to it, and it's like that's the lovely yeah. thing about it as well. I can't wait. I've got a little pile of that I'm getting together for over Christmas, where I am going to like switch off for like you know a kind of couple of weeks to to be sat with a fire on and some mulled wine or just any <laughs> alcohol 
and just have a <laughs> lovely collection of vinyl. Look, I've got my little. Oh, look, the pile started. My pile started oh, here. Oh, come on. I'll send you one of these test pressings because so, I don't think the artwork will be finished. I'm, I'm waiting for the. Um, so I'm waiting for yours, which is, uh, is it 20th of November? It's coming out, I think, isn't uh, it? Yeah, so the the uh, streaming's 20th of yeah. November. And then there's, I think there's still a few of the LPs that you can pre-order and then you actually get them some point in the new year. Yeah, yeah street, streaming's 20th of November. Amazing. And then, yeah, there's uh, that. So, yeah, I can't wait to add that to the list. I'll, I'll, if it's if I've not got the vinyl, I'll stream that one. But it's definitely one on my list for my for my soundtrack to my Christmas oh, um, yeah. to celebrate some wonderful things from this year in the form of both TV and film, really. I could chat to you for hours. You're so lovely to chat to Michael. <laughs> so brilliant. I feel like we need another episode for sure because I feel like we oh, haven't yeah. actually talked much about the music side of things, but it's just been an absolute treat. I have got Great. a lot of <laughs> <laughs> well, this could be, you've got to try and chase Ben Wheatley for five episodes now because that's, uh, but I would love to have you back for another visit anytime oh, you want. Thank you, Edith. It is a pleasure. And, and you do an amazing, an amazing thing. Uh, I think you should write a book that sort of analyzes every, all these different conversations that you've had and sort of like pulls out the strands because, oh, yeah. It's a lovely it's, idea. It's a great job. I love doing it. It's my proper pride and joy. Oh, um, wonderful. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Yeah. Take care and stay safe. Thanks. Get right in. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. uh, do some blue work. Yeah, go on, do some work. On. Go on. <laughs> I'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much, Michael. Take Thanks care. Thanks very much, Edith. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye, mate. From the score to eternal beauty, that's making you better. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Michael Price. My huge thanks to Michael for taking the time to talk to us. As I mentioned, you can pre-order the vinyl for Eternal Beauty now and you can stream it in the meantime. I appreciate we didn't talk as much about the actual music as we usually do, but we'll get him back in the new year to do a deep dive into all the films and TV shows that he's worked on. Such an interesting man and an absolute treat just to have a lovely conversation with him. If you haven't seen Eternal Beauty, please do it right away. It's beautiful and it's available on various home entertainment formats. And you can listen to my chats with Craig and David Arnold via your preferred podcast provider or at edithbowman.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And you must also, if you can, please 
look up our little YouTube channel if you get a moment where I put together an audiovisual companion piece to this show. Next up, The Boss. Oh yes, the one and only Bruce Springsteen returns to soundtracking. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. In the meantime, stay safe.